I am unashamed. What about you? So I'm uh, still in Baton Rouge for uh, the podcast today. And uh, last night I met some, one guy came up and he said, hey, I just want you to know I'm unashamed. And I was like, that's what I like to hear. So a lot of different people that listen to the podcast came up and, and talked to me. We took some pictures and Jay's one of them. <laughs> he said, he said, I, I just got a question for you. He said, where does Jace go in his mind when he just zones out every once in a while? <laughs> and I said, you know, we've, we've really talked about that a lot and we don't know. We think he's someplace is the third heaven. I, you know, I was really playing it up and he said, well, I just see him every once in a while. He just looks down and it's like, he just goes away. So since that was asked, Chase, I figure somebody else probably that listens to the podcast wants to know. So where do you go when you just zone out during the podcast? The short answer, I guess, would be in the spirit. Uh, the long answer would be I've been asked that. I was asked that by my mom. I would say the first seven years of my life, every day, once I understood the English language. Or the form that we use. <laughs> then I was asked that in school because I would stare outside. And uh, so, and my wife has asked that several times. I think what it is, is when I get inside a structure, I feel like that guy, uh, Kevin Costner, when he was the, he had spent too much time in the ocean and he, they were, they were trying to sell this, that we evolved from fish and all of a sudden he started getting, uh, what do you call them? Uh, voices, gills, gills. Yeah. Gills. gills. Yeah. He started forming gills. You know, it's a terrible movie and I didn't even make it to the end. Are you, but, you're talking about water, water, yeah, world. water world. Don't, if water you get a chance world, to yeah. see that pass, but <laughs> I've never heard of it. Yeah. Good. Good for you. So what I'm saying is when I get in a structure, I feel like Kevin Costner in the terrible movie Waterworld, because when he got on dry land, he started getting dizzy and he would zone out because now that he was becoming a fish, he, he well, I don't like being indoors. So every few moments, it's a uh, anxiety issue that I need to go outside. Or And Al knows I was, I quit my job. Because they tried to, you know, they gave us an internship after we went through the school. And uh, and I realized this just wasn't for me. But the reason I gave them for my resignation is I said, you don't have a window in my office. It's just not right. <laughs> Was this at the church? Yeah, they, they put me in the middle. Yeah. They, they put me in the middle uh, office. And I read Mark 1, Mark 2, Mark 3, and I assumed that I should be working for Jesus 24-7. So most of my Bible studies were happening after dark. And I, I read this to them in chapter 1, when the evening, that evening, 32, 132, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all these people. And Jesus healed them and drove out many demons. And then early in the morning, you know, he got up while it was still dark. And look, he left the house and went to a solitary place. So uh, they said, well, you're not Jesus. It's true. And this, <laughs> it, we have a solitary place for you. I said, but I don't like your solitary place, which is the equivalent of a prison cell with someone in solitary confinement. I'm a man of the outdoors. Mm. Did you That's tell a them true no story. That, needed? that conversation happened. Do what? <laughs> Zach? Did you tell them no pulpits needed? But it's, it's, no, he's not I was, in the building. That was before the <laughs> Phil's disdain with pulpits came, came, came up. <laughs> I, I, I don't really agree with Phil, but I, I think it's okay to have somewhere to put your stuff and to, have the have it where the crowd can look at you, but I don't know. I'm, I'm not a. You know, I, I I think somebody listening right now may may think that that was intentional, the whole setup, so that we could end up back in Mark. But it really, I, I'm 
I'm a little bit dumbfounded at how how you how you went from that question, and we wound up in Mark chapter one, verse thirty two. That right there, that's good, Jace. Jace was participating in uh, the the age old question, the statement: "Everyone is looking for you." Well, what had happened very early in the morning, while it was still dark. Jesus got up, left the house, got out of the structure, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and they found him. When they found him, they said, everyone's looking for you. Hard Mm -hmm. to find. Jace didn't like the idea of being like imprisoned in a little small room. From eight to five. Because they always know when they open the door whether he's there or not. He wants to be yeah. a little harder to find than the <laughs> no, look, man. They wanted me to be in from 8 to 5 without a window. So I would zone out and slept. I slept most of the time in the office. I just slept. And they would, you know, oh, Carl, you remember, he would knock on my door while I'm asleep. You're going to do more than that to wake me up. So then he would walk in <laughs> and say, hey. And I would raise my head. He said, are you sleeping? I went, yes, sir. He said, how come? You didn't get enough sleep last night? I said, no, I was sharing Jesus with people into the night. He said, that's great. Let me get you some coffee. I thought, I don't want coffee. I want to I wanna go home and sleep in my bed. Yeah. Like, those, that, but that, that was a, he was, Carl was a tough man. I mean, they, all those guys, they were, that, that was another breed right there, man. They didn't mm-hmm. play around. The I, best is yet to come. I, I'm just saying you can't put Jesus into an eight to five job. That doesn't work for me. It doesn't work for me. I, I'm out. Yeah. And plus, I'm an outdoors person. So yeah. you're, this that, is a weird of form of torture by making me sit in a room without a window for hours at a time. So occasionally on the podcast, I zone out and I'm thinking about trees and the wind and grass <laughs> Ducks. It's, it frogs. adds credence to the, the well, and, and if anybody's asking uh, on where your your background, who sired you, that that would be probably one of the, the things that they would notice. What? Don't don't put me inside a structure. Yeah, I there. don't. I don't like being. You know, I don't like being enclosed. Yep. The apple did not fall far from the tree. That's yeah, it's it. like a it's like a form of uh, claustrophobia. Al, what were you going to say? No, I, I was going to say that Jace brings up a great larger point about sort of modern church in America about what you expect out of your pastor or church leadership because there was sort of this idea that came along in the last probably fifty years of this sort of corporatization of the church. And so it's like the, you know, he's the CEO and you got the people and you got to spend the office hours and, you know, there has to be this high profile and professionalism. And, but really, I mean, all that was not, that's not biblical or anything that we read about in like Jace properly did it. And, And look, I loved my mentors. They were great, but they were just locked into that idea that you had to be in the office for a certain amount of time. And the question was why? Because most of the ministry, Jace is right, went on outside of there. It's the same with me. Yeah. And, of course, the difference in me and Jace is I just, you know, stuck with it because I can sit inside a room without zoning out. But at the same time, I was just like Jace. Most of my stuff was done not in the building. That's yeah. not even where I like to study. Well, you know, it's you know, interesting. I like to study at home. Yeah, they got off that after I left. And, uh, you know, they quit doing that. But while I was there – and remember, there was like filling out forms, and I was like, I don't even remember. But we baptized him. You know what I mean? I can't, what? I can't fill out a form. <laughs> it just didn't seem right to me. And uh, so I just, I just said, I'm out of here. But I told him, I was well, like, a, you there. don't have a window in that office. And they were like, what? I was like, you can't, how would you expect a person to live there? eight hours a day and not go completely insane. <laughs> well, there the- were a lot of, there, I, I, well, I remember uh, back in the late nineties, that um, there were a lot of, of baptisms and Bible studies after midnight. That's when most, oh, of, most of that happened, Look, I still, which was cool. Yeah. 
I mean, that yeah, those were days. I look back on those days, and it's like there was a time period. I probably started from about the time Mac Owen, which was before my time, but when he walked that aisle and confessed his drug addiction in front of the entire church, which had never been done of anything of that scale, who, by the way, later went on to become a very influential shepherd at our church and now runs Celebrate Recovery globally. But he he walked that aisle and confessed, and then the church surrounds him. But then I think when, when Phil, when you guys started coming to church there, it it it, it was like a, the kingdom kind of went outside the building. And, and, I mean, the Sunday morning sermon was not – I mean, that was not the focal point. That's in the it. best days of White's Ferry Road, the, the, I mean, the focal point was what was going on in the Bible studies and the equipping of the priesthood of believers. I, I, to me, there was about a 10, 20-year run there that I look back on as like formative for my life and understanding that the kingdom is made up of a bunch of priests and and they're not professional clergy. They're just regular guys like us that that would go out and share the gospel and just the fruit of that and the community that was built in that time period. Yeah. I'm friends with John and Paula Godwin. Like they're like, I, even though I've never talked to them, I mean, they're like family. I don't, I may not see them and talk to them for four months, but when I do, it's family. And yep. it's because of those bonds developed in that time period. Yep. Yeah. That's why I think I was misunderstood in a previous podcast when we were talking about, I said I wasn't a leader and uh, the people who read my emails, uh, told me that a lot of people sent emails about that i was like well i meant i'm not a leader in an organization with like like al even though he doesn't get paid he is a leader you know and you're the same way i'm not a declared leader but do i try to lead my family to heaven yes oh yeah i'm a leader in that and do i try to lead other people to jesus oh yes i think you are we are leaders in that capacity, and I consider myself that. But I'm not a leader in that I'm in an organization where people are holding me accountable in, of, like, a local yeah. base, you know. And, I mean, because I walked away from that. I mean, I was kind of kidding about not having the window, but I really was I was serious. I was like, I'm just, I'm built for the outside. When you spend eight hours a day inside a little office, it's hard to make that square with plant seed. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what they do in there. There's no, there I don't no ground to plant. And I can't do it. So, like, when I, <laughs> now I did work, uh, you know, an eight hour job for Duck Commander for years, but we had windows. And at any moment, I could walk outside and blow the duck hole. And I did many times. And people would say, what's it? What's Chase doing? He's like, he's, he wanted to be outside. So, well, one of my favorite things to do, that's why I'm glad I discovered metal detecting. Because if I get in the right field, in the right place at the right moment, I'll just, I'll just collapse and just lay there in the grass, you know, and look up at the sky. And I like that moment, right? There, you're talking about peace of mind. I'm going to heaven. I got Jesus. I'm outside, especially on a river or something. I mean, I just, I feel... I feel comfortable in that setting. And if we want to have a conversation or if I want to study or I want to reflect, or like Jesus when he left and spent some some alone time, he usually went up on a mountain. And so I'm like, it's biblical. It's, it's Jesus-like. Let's go up out in nature and do some reflecting. Let's take a quick break. So uh, we're recording today on the first day of fall. And uh, Dad, what's the what's the temperature there in Louisiana on the first day of fall? The the weather people said it will be one hundred and one today, which uh, I must say I don't believe I remember <laughs> a, a September that it gets near hover around a hundred. It's fixing to break in the next three or four days, so it's pretty bad. And you know, one of the things that we find out is that when you're out there hunting or you're out doing stuff outside and it's these kind of temperatures, you need some decent underwear. We don't talk about this a lot, but it's actually something we probably should. And we have some great underwear that we support, that they support us on the podcast, and they're called Tommy Johns. We have a lightweight fabric. Uh, they have four times the stretch of other bands, and they have what they call, which I know Jace loves this, the no wedgie guarantee. 
which is great. Uh, and also there's a, a, a great wiki material that keeps you from being so hot, too. So they've sold over 17 million pairs. Uh, they're great underwear. I was a fanatic for Tommy John's even before they supported our podcast. They've got the best pair you'll ever wear or it's free guarantee. So check these guys out. Go to TommyJohn.com slash Phil. If you go there right now, you're going to save 20% off your first order. So that's 20% off TommyJohn.com slash Phil. See their site for details. Um, you know, it's interesting, though, because I think about how many pastors, and, and this, I'm not knocking any of these people. Some of these people are, have done great work, but I do think that, like, thinking about as a, as a, in the role of pastor or shepherd or elder, which is, I would argue, is, is the same term. Um, it's it's kind of mm-hmm. hard to pastor sheep though if you're not with them and and so many people think that that Sunday morning ser- sermon that's like that that's the thing that's going to do it right if we just give them the right sermon and they'll spend 30 40 hours a week on a sermon and is that um, what they're doing you know, well some of them are yeah and I huh. think that um, I think it, it's it, I think it's we're, I think the church is in a place now though where we've kind of we've kind of gone through this gamut on this thing and I think people are looking for authentic community now that's that's gospel centered and spirit filled and so it's like you know you got to see you got to like if you want to be a part of transform lives you got to be a part of people's lives it's like what i was talking about you know when, when lisa shared you know her story you know uh, which is powerful but it's even more powerful when you know her like like i know her and like we know her and then like you were there for a lot of this stuff it's like man you start to see that unfold over a lifetime and there and there's not a sermon in the in the world that's going to hold that kind of power you know what i mean like doing life together, um, yeah. you know. Oh, right, well, y'all brought it up, so I'm gonna give you a sermon. I'm gonna give you a sermon now before we get into Mark. Well, it just hit me because now look, I was young and immature back then, but I think I was right on the issue, which was we were sharing Jesus with a lot of people, and I, we were meeting every night, either in our house or somebody else's house. Just and it was more a discipleship thing. It was like because these people were coming to Christ, they didn't have anything to do. And we were young. We were like, "Come on, you know, this is before we even had kids." But when you read in Acts two, after Peter shares Jesus, three thousand respond. There's one verse I want to read because you know, and this is basically what I filled out in the report. There was all these sections out. You remember those things? There were all these. Like outline form one one a b, and I just at the top of the page put I quoted this. It, it hit me. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So I'm like, every night I'm in the Word with people. I'm in the Word. We're studying the Bible. We're fellowshipping, we're having meals, and we're praying together. That's what I'm doing. And I'm going to do that tonight, and then I'm going to do it tomorrow night. Then I'm going to do it after the night after that. But at some point, i got to sleep. And so if I come up here from 8 to 5, I, when, when am I going to sleep? So I was just sleeping in the office, which was a bad look. But Outreach became laborious. <laughs> Well, and, well, and, and to your but your sermon, your sermon though, it, it it's in line with with where we're at. And Mark, I, I was just underlining this as you were talking. Yeah, you know, verse twelve in Mark one, it says immediately the Spirit Im- impelled him to go out. So think about the language here. He's going out. Uh, verse fourteen, Jesus came into Galilee, so then he came. Uh, he, uh, verse sixteen, he was going out. Verse nineteen, going on a little further. 21, they they went into uh, all this language. Uh, verse 29, they came out of the synagogue. They came into the house. And so you're, what, what you're seeing here is a disruption of what now we would call a, a, a secular sacred divide that, that there's, you know, we've been told that there's supposed to be a divide between the secular world and the sacred world, and they're not to collide. And the sacred world, that's what goes on in our church buildings that's what goes on in our, our our institutions, and and whatever you do in there, that's like that's your Jesus time. Whatever you do, do not bring 
the sacred the sacred into the secular and don't bring the secular into the sacred. These are two divided categories. And well, I think why this is so important, you, you kind of ended we kind of ended in Mark one kind of tongue in cheek, but it is true. That story that you told is so true of the problem with the church today is that we have separated the secular from the sacred. And we're wondering why the secular is not being transformed by the sacred because yeah. we're, we're, we, we bought into the lie and the kingdom of God does not make the distinction. The kingdom of God says it go into the world, like go move, yeah. act, go do, outside like, the camp. Out. Yeah. Go outside the camp. Yeah. You know, what's interesting you bringing that up. Cause I wasn't going to bring this up when we were in Mark one, but since you brought it up, I was fascinated that the same phrase in the Greek language that when it says at once the spirit, Mark one twelve at once the spirit sent him out into the desert was the same phrase used when Jesus cast out the evil spirit out of somebody else. And uh, it was fascinating to me because I thought in that moment when I was reading by myself, I thought we're all possessed by something or someone, you know, in our, in our mind. Yep. And what you want to have happen in your life is the spirit guiding you in the right direction even though it doesn't look like the right direction, which in Jesus's case, he went from the water declared as the son of God, Jesus's son into the wilderness. But what did he do? Filled with the spirit. And he has this confrontation with the evil one. But then the next, the next paragraph, he gets into the same confrontation and he casts the evil spirit out, which we know why, because he wants to move in. And that process repeats itself in in all human beings' lives as adults. You either got to get the evil, That's selfish true. spirit out, so so he can move, and then it will carry you. But you're on the move, and that's why the, I think Mark his his. If you want to sum up his his take on Jesus's life, it's action. I mean, this is. Action. I mean, he skipped over the baby, you know, years. He's like, no, we immediately hair on the chest. Here he is. And we're on the move. It, it's it's I love it. Now, I was just going to say before you made that comment, Zach, what I participated in last night here in Baton Rouge was exactly what you were talking about, Zach. And I wanted to mention it. So the, I agree 100 percent in this idea of the of the separation of the sacred and the secular. Last night we were in a in a building, and it was in the name of the group that meets there is called Healing Place, which I like that because it's like we're here to help people find healing, spiritual healing. But inside this structure, there were several hundred people, and we were talking about God, we were talking about life, we were talking about how important it is post row. But there were forty six Louisiana legislators, senators, and and legislators from the from the our state government. They were a part of this proceeding and they were getting awards for coming up with bills and voting on things that mattered to family and God. And so that line was blurred last night in a, in a powerful way to me because I thought, man, this is what we need. We need people in government being impacted by men and women of God. And that's exactly what we participated in. So the more you blur those lines, the more you start looking at kingdom and and kingdom of God. So, I mean, I literally participated in just what you were talking about, Zach, last night, a crossing over of those two that say, oh, you can't do that. You can't cross those over, but you can. And we did. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was thinking about, go ahead, Jace. Well, I was just going to say, you know, what's funny is when we get to chapter three, which we're, we're in chapter two now, you're going to really see that because you have two unlikely groups of people. You have the Herodians. This is in chapter three and six. They go in cahoots with the Pharisees. So supposedly the sacred and the secular get together because both of their narratives do not have a place for Jesus in how he's operating. Yep. And so it's like, They're I mean, most people kill him. point out the Herodians because they had the power, you know, to execute people. I mean, they were basically these Jews who were operating under Roman control, but they throw in cahoots with the Pharisees. But I thought, how would that be to be a part of that Pharisee group where you're literally betraying what you know to be true? Because they were like, we believe God, the God of Israel should 
should rule everybody. And we believe the Messiah is going to come and destroy powers like Rome so we can be back in control. And they're literally sacrificing what these Herodians are doing from a political, they're just a political group. Because their narrative of Jesus, because he's, he's eating with tax collectors and he's not going by a schedule and he's doing things that are almost in their minds, making fun of their laws because he's healing people on the Sabbath. And it just, to me, I'm like, I cannot believe a religious person would literally portray the creator of the universe who was on planet earth. Cause it just, cause his teaching just doesn't fit in your narrative. I mean, it's yeah. just amazing to me. Yeah. Let, let, let's take a quick break. So one of the certainties of life is that there's a lot of uncertainty. I mean, I think that's a fair thing to say. You know, there's just things that happen that you have to be ready for, even though you don't know what's going to happen. Right now we're in hurricane season. You know, you're always thinking, are we going to get a storm? Is the power going to go out? You know, what? of course, there's a lot of stuff going on politically or things going to change. And one of uh, our sponsors, uh, preparewithfill.com, which is from My Patriot Supply, uh, they have emergency food available. And everyone needs to have some stockpile. Uh, they have a three-month emergency food kit uh, that you'll get, and you'll be able to save 20% on it if you go and you order and, and check them out. Uh, since they've been prepared, they're able to save you some money uh, now to be able to do this. And so they get over 2,000 calories a day for strength and energy. Uh, their meals are delicious. They're easy to prepare. Here's what you do. Go to preparewithfill.com. You're going to save 20% on that three-month emergency food kit. You'll have peace of mind. Your order ships fast and free. It arrives in unmarked boxes for your privacy. Preparewithfill.com. Check them out. Preparewithfill.com. I, I love how you phrase that. Uh, you use that term narrative because that, that, I mean, that's the problem. Yeah, 100% agree with you. Like, you know, with Jesus, think about this. With Jesus, his arrival, it's the intersection of truth and, and experience because they're they're experiencing him and he is the truth. And, and he's right there in their midst and he's talking to them. And But they have this narrative that they've created. They've created some narrative about reality. And really, it's the narrative that, that they've created for their own self-preservation and self-exaltation. And what Jesus, he's coming, he's, he's disrupting all of that. And in the case of the Herodians, yeah, they had a political, everything was political for them. It was about political power and posturing. Okay. Now I was having a conversation with one of our pastors just about kind of the dichotomy of the, of our culture right now, which is hyper political and that everything is like a, like a political fix. And we, I think the reason why we want that is because if we can have in our narrative what we've created on both the right and the left is there's this snake that is the opposition. And if we could just go in and cut the head off of that snake, then then we'd be okay. Everything and we just I, on the on the right, it's like if we could just take George Soros out, you know, then then but the truth is the problem is is so much deeper than the head of a snake. It's a it's these are movements. These are this is the ethos of a culture. This is and you start to look at what what the task in front of us, just like in, in, in what's going on here in Mark two, man. When when you're if you're looking at it, it's like, man, how in the world are we really going to have true victory in this? It's just the problem is too big. It's everywhere. It's 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 a spirit of of something that's 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 it's a, it's a death work, as Carl Truman says. It's anti culture. It's everywhere. There is no head of the snake. It's everywhere. So how do you infect that? How do you permeate that? How do you change that? And that's what Jesus is doing. When he came, he completely disrupted everything. And how did he do it? He went and got a bunch of rogue fishermen, a bunch of rogue disciples. Well, how many did he get? Like 12? <laughs> 12 guys, random dudes that like, and he turned the world upside down through this type of kingdom manifestation that it just it just grew, and I, I think we we as we participate in it, and we think about this sacred uh, sacred secular divide too. It's even more than just going to the top of our power structures. It's actually probably much more going down to the bottom of just where every where we all live, and just impacting the people around you. Going into a tire shop and being ready, 
you know, to have a conversation with 20 other people sitting around there. Eh, it's kind of awkward. Well, you know what? Yeah. You have the conversation anyways, and who knows what like is going to come out of that, what kind of kingdom expansion. Does that make sense? Makes oh, sense. I agree. And I mean, we're jumping ahead, but just because this is so good to us as believers, you're seeing Jesus come down and just upset the apple cart. And we know how this all is going to end, obviously. But. You know, he's healing people, he's caring for people, he's driving out demons, everything's great. And then when you get to that chapter 3 and verse 6, it's like, Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Well, what's this in response to? It's in response of healing people. (laughs) You're like, what? And that's the way they did things back then. If anybody was a problem with their narrative they just called the herodians and said hey this guy's causing some political it was a power thing it was power they thought they had the power and they looked up and they said he did what he did what well they just what all the people were following him they're like this guy's he's creating uh quite the following here yeah. <laughs> well, he did. But, well, well, to be fair, though, he, he didn't just he wasn't just healing people. He did do something pretty provocative in chapter two. And um, he said, you know, your sins are forgiven. And well, then they right. start reasoning and they're like, wait a second. Hold on. It's, it's like this well, thing clicked in their mind. They're yeah. like, wait, who, how does he have the power to forgive sins? Well, so I, wanted, a, I wanted to read ahead. this and uh, I wanted to read this story because I do think it is. This was a moment that he chose that caused political unrest and religious, what's the word, panic. So a few days later, when Jesus entered Capernaum, this is verse 1 of chapter 2, the people heard that he had come home, which is an interesting verse because they think maybe he had a house there, but Jesus said he didn't have a a place to lay his head, so... Who knows what he meant by that? But so many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. Oh, so many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. Now, I think this is key. He preached the word to them, which I said that last time. Jesus was going around sharing the message of the kingdom, and he was preaching. He did miracles to confirm what he was saying. But when you think about like what we do today, we give people a word, you know, that saying in church, that uh, Christianese word, you know, give us a word. We give people a word, but Jesus is the word. He wrote the manual. It's a living word. It's living and breathing. It is, you don't just read his word. It reads you. It, it's a person who wrote and created the, the word and is now embodying it and sharing it. So I think that's a key point. But then some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him in to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof about Jesus, I mean above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. So it's a great visual here. I mean, all of a sudden you're you're listening to Jesus. And they tear a hole everything, in the and roof. all of a sudden you start seeing debris fall and you're like what is there someone on the roof i mean and then so you go through that when jesus saw their faith which i find this fascinating not the guy lying when he saw these friends faith because these are the greatest friends in the world you need people who are friends of yours who would do this for you because they believe we have a we have an option here and they were willing to do that awesome friends when he saw their faith he said to the paralytic and and i will i will just I will intervene here and say this is a record-scratching moment because he sees their faith, and he says something that you never thought he was going to say. He said, son, your sins are forgiven. Well, it's like, right? And you say, why is this a record-scratching moment? Because if I was the paralytic, that would not make me happy. I'd be like, what? (laughs) Wait. What about my life? I can't walk. I can't walk. <gasps> what this sin? Some sins. I mean, okay, you forgive my sins. What does that matter? He I mean, didn't put two and two together. If he could do that. Well, I wouldn't have either, Phil. I'm like, they didn't lower me down here for you to forgive my sins. 
they've thrown me down here so you can fix my legs like you're fixing everybody else. So I do think that's important because like I, you know, I heard a sermon on this one time and the title of it was, uh, I wrote that down somewhere. Where did I write this down? Hang on, stand by. This is really good. Oh, he got more than he asked for. That's Which correct. when you think about that yep. and the repercussions of that, it's powerful. So I'll read the rest of it. So now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, well, why does this fellow talk, talk like that? He's blaspheming. So this is record scratch moment number two. The first one was from the guy who's paralyzed. He's like, what? He's not happy. Number two is these guys saying, he's a blasphemer. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, which is a common phrase, action in Mark, immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up and take your mat and go home. Now he's happy. Mm. <laughs> which, 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 which to our point in the last couple of podcasts that he just gave you in that last verse, he just told you one of the main reasons why the miracles are performed. Exactly. To testify to this is the guy that can forgive your sins. That's where I was going with this, because you remember a couple of podcasts ago and we it turned into this huge argument about the definition of the word miracle. And if you missed that podcast, I was basically saying everybody claims miracles. Everybody in the church, you know, come in and get your miracle. But on advertising, they're like miracle cream. You know, you put this on your face and it does a miracle. Now, what that is, is. The NFL, they actually have hold a on, play hold, hold called the Hail hold Mary. On. <laughs> hold on one second. Before, <laughs> before we get into the, to the miracles, let's take a quick break. The NFL came up with a play called the Hail Mary. And when it happens, I saw it four times last week. They say, it's a miracle. There was a hockey team. From the United States, and what do they call it? The miracle on ice. So what we think a miracle is, what I interjected, was it something like this. This is a guy paralyzed, and Jesus did something in front of people with just a word. Not a procedure, not a ceremony. His word he fixed this person and made him whole, made him where he could walk. That's a miracle. And none of the crowd knew what he was going to do. None of them knew it, and it was in front of everybody. Usually there was witnesses. You got your little crowd together and said, watch this. He didn't leave and come back. Oh, he was faking the whole time. And yep. they looked, I mean, you know, you're reading in between the lines, but he was. if you're lowering him down, the mat, it's obvious the man is paralyzed. Because you're risking his life anyway to get him well, down 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 the route. Yeah, well, think about uh, we I think we've gotten to this in Hebrews that Hebrews six passage where um, there's kind of this scary thing about rejecting truth and 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 Hebrews ten as well. And when you you know when you reject truth, there's no sacrifice for sin left, but only a you willfully keep on sinning. It's a, uh, there's a, all those passages that are so scary. I think this is the point they right here. Is, is what the Hebrew writer was getting at and what Jesus is going to get at later on. Uh, what it says that the reason why he performed the miracle was what? So that you would know mm-hmm. that the Son of Man mm-hmm. has authority on earth to forgive your sins. Yep. Now, now that, like, if, if you don't know, if you don't believe that Jesus has the power and the authority and the ability to remove your sins, then here's the problem. There's nothing greater. There's nothing greater. And so when you see this kind of thing unfolding here, 
with these with the Pharisees, ultimately we know what happens. He's performing miracles to testify to this fact that he alone is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through him because he alone has the ability to forgive you of your sins. And the fair and he and he's and he's confirming it through the miracles. And and the Pharisees look at that and they say, That's the devil doing that. We need to kill say, him. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. We need to we need to we need to kill him because that's the de- he's doing it in the devil's name. And Jesus says to him, that is the essence of what blasphemy is. They're charging him with blasphemy, but he but in actuality, by doing so, they are committing the ultimate blasphemy against the spirit. And 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 against that, he says that you can't be forgiven of that, not because you've gone too far. It's because it's the ultimate rejection mm-hmm. of truth. What truth is it? The truth that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. If you don't believe that, if you reject that truth right there, atonement, atonement that comes only through Jesus, point is, ain't nothing left. That's it. Exactly. You've rejected the only means by which you'd be saved. That's the point I was going to make. I agree 100%. Jesus was declaring that he was the Son of God, had the authority. He's the Son of Man, but he's the Son of God. And he, the whole point was forgiving those sins. Because that was invisible. We talked about this earlier. That's an invisible thing. It takes faith and trust in the person declaring that. Yep. So he does something visible that they've attributed to the reason that this guy is paralyzed is because he's done a bunch of sins. So I think that's why Jesus did it in the order. But it made me think in a practical way. I wrote this down. What do hold you on, before you get hold on before you go to the practical let's take let's take our last break thought about this practically what do you do when Jesus doesn't do what you want him to do because we have that happen even in our life where when you think about our prayers you know fix this fix that fix this fix that fix that and I think that that clarity when when your experience doesn't measure to your your expectations it makes you miserable because that, that's what we do in our life we we have experiences and without Jesus look they're never going you're never going to meet your expectations that's why we fight with each other and you know unmet expectations i want this i want that and when it's not there it causes chaos and, and strife. But it happens in the church also because God is famous for having wilderness moments to provide some clarity to what he's going to do in your life. And so I think you see that in this form. And the reason I, I'm really getting practical on this is because I think there's another record scratch moment in this is when he says, pick up your mat and walk. Because I know the Bible doesn't do things on accident. And there's been stories where he healed people on the Sabbath and he said, pick up your mat. And I think he was trying to make a point that, oh, he's going to break the Sabbath by picking up that mat. But the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. But in this case, it never says it's on the Sabbath. And I believe that the reason he said that is because he wanted to remind him of where he had been. He doesn't need the mat anymore, is my point. But he said, pick up your mat and walk. Because look, you think about this. Put yourself in this situation here. Jesus asked him to do something that he didn't think he could do. He knew he couldn't do it. It wasn't that he didn't think. He knew he couldn't do it. He couldn't walk. He's paralyzed. But Jesus said, get up. I think that's a moment right there. It I mean, it's a moment for everybody. Because <laughs> when you come to Jesus, I've had so many Bible studies, and people are like, well, I just don't think I can do it. Like, yeah, he's asking you to do something that you know you can't do. That's what this is all about. And so instead of chasing a miracle and having to have this proof, you read this story and you realize that that's what he asked all of us to do. Not even in a miraculous way, just by faith saying, you know what, I'm going to put my faith and trust in Jesus. But it's hard for us to do that because we know I can't live this life. My past is too bad, whatever the argument or excuse is. But to to this fellow's credit, you know what he did? He obeyed. He got up. 
Yep. So I'm going for it. And he said, take that mat with you so you don't forget. And Jace, uh, that's a great point. And you're right. It's a record scratcher. And, you know, I preached this text a long time ago. I call it the hole in the roof gang because the heroes of the story really are the four friends that that got him to Jesus, whatever it took to get him to Jesus. A lot of people think this might have been Peter's house. You talked about that, about him coming home, because we know Peter had a house there, because remember earlier he heals Peter's mother-in-law. So it may have been Peter's house, which I always, if it was, I, I like to laugh and think, what did Peter's wife think about the hole in the roof? You know, she's probably wasn't too happy about it. But this crowd of people that's there, and I think this happens a lot today. So they're there. And they're listening to Jesus. So that's all good. And he's preaching and you know, teachers of laws and all that. But they're also, because they're a crowd and they've blocked an entrance to get to Jesus. And, you know, I, I really think that happens. Sometimes people get so swept up in their own experiences when it comes to whether it's meeting together or whatever, that sometimes you can block people getting to Jesus simply by being a crowd. And not being aware, because, you know, the, the the last verse, Jace, that you didn't read the last verse, but it says he got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. And they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. What they should have said is we've never seen anyone yeah. like this. See, they were still marveling just in the in the miracle and not in the man. So, and we know they missed it because it's the same people that later on are going to reject him. So I just thought it was interesting that the crowd itself created a barrier to get a man who needed his sins forgiven from Jesus. And and I think we have to always be aware of that people need Jesus. And our role is to get them there, not just to be a crowd, yeah. but to be somebody that's going to go the extra step to get him in the roof. Well, I was going to say, because I had three points in response to the experience of Jesus is that you get up. So that's the, even though it doesn't, the circumstances may not seem it and you may not believe it and you may have doubts and you don't think you can do it, but that's what faith is all about. You get up and you pick up your mat because that's going to be a reminder of where you came from. And I think at some point, his faith probably was thankful for the years that he was paralyzed because it provided him some clarity to have this encounter with Jesus. And then what did he do? And Je I mean, what did Jesus tell him to do? He said, get up, take your mat and go home. Cause you can imagine what his home life was before Jesus while he was paralyzed. And now what's he going to do at home? Well, there fixed me some changes there. Can you imagine his wife, you know, he didn't tell him to go home. I guarantee you the people were in the home. That's who he was telling him to go back to. I mean, and how's this conversation go? I mean, this has been a complete transformation. But to Zach's point and to Mark's point, it was all about the bigger picture that God is here and he has the power to forgive your sins, therefore connects you back to a relationship with God. Now, granted, at this point, he didn't understand about the resurrection, but him being paralyzed was not going to be a problem as far as living with God forever. I mean, trusting in God, not only the sins behalf, but because we know the end of the story. Whether he had healed him or not, this guy was is going to be raised from the dead. And trust me, he's, his feet will be functional in heaven or whatever that is. So... I just think it's an incredible story. It, it 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 is a shadow to the gospel, really, of his death, burial, and resurrection. He has the power to heal, and he has the power to forgive. Oh, we lost that. Dong show. He was going to make a. <laughs> he was point just to make such a biblical, such a great. And it just bump. <laughs> no, there he's, he's back. You're back. Zach, I thought you got gonged. I thought somebody put out the thing and just ripped you off. No, no what, I, I love what you said. Uh, I, the last thing I heard you say was uh, that these things are a shadow of the gospel. And then my and then my, my uh, software said, you are not being recorded. You need to refresh your browser. And I was oh. trying to talk. And and because I was before you said that, I was like, I was thinking, yeah, that's the devil trying to shut us down here. But uh, I, I thought the same thing about shadow, you know, these miracles going back to Al's point, because I, I, didn't, I didn't bring that up earlier. But when, when I was uh, I was thinking the same thing when you're reading this and, and you know that the people here, 
that later are the blasphemers of, of God and the Holy Spirit, particularly, are the same people that are like, oh, this is amazing. You know, he's look at what he's doing. Man, this we've never seen anything like this. And I, I, I love that point that Al made. They should have said we've never seen any one like this to, to repeat what Al said. And I think that's what you're getting at, too. Mm-hmm. These miracles are are shadows. They're, they're a reflection of of the ultimate one, Jesus. They're, they're, it's a big finger pointing. The miracles are a big mm-hmm. finger just pointing, saying, that way, that guy, him. And, and I think that when you go back, that's why I love this Mark chapter 1, verse 17, which you had brought up the, the, when we first started, Mark, which is what? What do you say? Come follow me. And so all of the miracles, all of this stuff, it, it, it's all, it, if, if it does not ultimately result in us following Jesus, becoming an apprentice of Jesus, becoming a disciple of Jesus, becoming like Jesus, being transformed into the image of the Son, if that's not the ultimate end, of what we're doing, being in his presence and being with him, then again, then it's just another, it's, it's not enough. It's no, got enough. to result in transformation. That's why I said he started, what was the purpose of being at this house? It wasn't, it wasn't to heal this guy. He was there preaching the word. That's what it says. They were all yeah. gathered. He, he was sharing the message. Then an opportunity came up. I mean, God probably designed it, but these you got four friends who are saying, we got to get this guy healed. And what does he do? He's like, your sins are forgiven. Why? Because that goes in with the message on why he was here. He died for everybody's sins. He wants to save everybody. Not only can he forgive you, you can live forever. And they're like, well, we don't believe you. We don't believe you. And so he says, well, to show you that I can do that, watch this. Bam. Now what do you think? And so you would think everybody would be jumping up and down the Messiah's here. No, Pharisees and the Herodians said, we got to kill that guy. Yeah, and 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 we're out of time here. We're about to go to overtime. But to answer your question in, a, in another way, what what do we do whenever we God doesn't give us what we want? We have an expectation, and God doesn't give us what we want. And you, I, I had a few answers to that. We we put our faith in politics. We put our faith in pleasure. These are all P's. We put our faith in popularity or relevance. We put our faith in prosperity, financial security, or whatever the whatever that is for you. It's 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 essentially boils down to the same problem we have here. We mentioned earlier, we create a new narrative, but here's what we should do. When, when, whenever God doesn't give you what you want, here's what we should do. We should we should maybe recognize that we're wanting the wrong thing. Yeah, so you guys uh, who aren't part of Overtime, um, it's blazetv.com slash unashamed, blazetv.com slash unashamed. You don't just get the Overtime stuff with us. You get access to the whole Blaze Network, but um, we'd love to have you guys jump in with us.